Good morning, church. My name is Caleb, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Desert Springs. Uh, we're entering into my most favoritest part of the year. And uh, I want to invite y'all, uh, first of, uh, just to tag on to what Don was saying, uh, next week we're going to start as a church family. Uh, we'll go through a study in, uh, that's f- uh, framed around Advent, but I want to invite y'all to get a copy of this book, An Advent for the Cosmos. You can find information on that book in your handout uh, or on our website at dsbc.com dsbc.church slash winter. Uh, you can buy that right on Amazon. And we're going to, uh, our, our sermon series will actually be complemented by the daily studies and reflections that are available in this book, Advent for the Cosmos. So this is great to go through as an individual, or especially if you've got kids, uh, there's pictures, as well as uh, some daily reflections, uh, scripture reading, and uh, recommended prayers. So I want to highly encourage y'all to take advantage of that. Again, it's called an Advent for the Cosmos. Also, as we're coming down to the end of our calendar year, just wanted to draw your attention in the bulletin is a letter from our Board of Elders just sharing about where we're at with our finances, and they wanted to to share with you, and so I just wanted to point that out, that you can read that uh, at your leisure, but not during the sermon. (laughs) Because... Uh, what we're going to do today, I, I, from, from where I sit, I, what we're going to talk about today is, is, is one of the most like, mind-blowing realities of the nature of the cosmos. And I want to invite you, just uh, for our time together, to think deeply about what it is that we hear. Specifically, uh, we're going to hear a prayer that Jesus prayed about us. And about his followers. It's in the Gospel of John chapter 17. And it's going to conclude our uh, sermon series that we've been going through called Truth. We've been looking at what is truth. What's the nature of it? How do we discover truth? What is our posture towards the truth? And today, uh, again, I, I believe this to be one of the most foundational truths, not only of Scripture, but of the nature of reality and our posture towards uh, this truth of the cosmos. So I want to invite you to join me as we continue on in this study. Now, so far we have, uh, let me see if I can put it up here on the TV. Um, let me just get it up on this slide here. Are you, am I broadcasting to you guys? Oh, there it is. Perfect. Okay, sorry. That's my fault. Sorry about that. Yeah, so we've been looking during this series called The Truth. We've been looking at what the scripture teaches, specifically in the Gospel of John. So we've looked at uh, that truth, the ultimate expression of truth, is seen in Jesus, the personal work of Jesus. Jesus says stuff like, I'm the way, the truth and life. Okay, so, so Jesus refers himself to truth that he is the truth. So if you want to know truth, uh, at, at its most uh, profound, as its most pronounced, you find it in Jesus. And last week we talked about how Jesus sends, sends to us his spirit, and he refers to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth. And so w- there's this thing going on in the Gospel of John where truth is ultimately expressed through Jesus, but also expressed and, 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 and we're guided in the truth by the power of the spirit. And so this is where we're getting into some like mind-blowing uh, realities here. And so when we think about truth, I want to just draw our attention to what we've already kind of uh, discovered, but I want to put a fine point to it. So we've talked about how the scriptures reveal God as one God in three persons. So this is sometimes referred to as the Trinity. You guys ever heard that word, the Trinity? So the, so the Trinity. So, so this is, the word Trinity is not in your Bible, but it is a word we try to use 
to describe the reality that is found in the Bible, namely that God reveals, uh, is revealed as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and here's the jam, okay, so, so track with me. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not three different gods, not one God with three different hats, but one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Christ, like Jesus' followers have been trying to figure out that truth since the time of Jesus. And so if you're sitting here and you're just like, that does not make sense, you are correct. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Like, how can you have one and three and three and one? It does not, and we've tried all of these illustrations to try to describe it, but here's the deal. At the end of the day, I just want to invite you into um, uh, your finitude. I, I want to invite you to appreciate the fact that you are not God. Gasp. And I invite you to rest in the fact that sometimes when God is revealed to us, we don't totally grasp it all. Thanks be to God. Because here's the deal. A God that we totally get and understand where there's no mystery is a God of our own making. And so when we, so, so one God, three persons, okay? So here we go. So I told you this is like mind-bending stuff. So with, within <laughs> the very center of reality is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, eternally existing as one God in three persons. Here's what, so, so but, but here's the deal. One of the things this means is God did not create people because God was lonely, C.S. Lewis had that he riffed on this idea. C.S. Lewis is an old British uh, theologian from the mid-1900s. And, and he, he called it a dance. When he envisioned the triune God, he envisioned three partners dancing, all in unity and in harmony with one another. He called it the divine dance. In the divine dance, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, eternally Loving each other, eternally deferring to each other, eternally in hold on, hold on now, eternally in communion with one another, and so you have this dance, this divine dance: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, eternally in community and communion with one another, and that creation, as we know it, comes out of that dance. So when God speaks in the book of Genesis, when God speaks creation into existence, he speaks as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so you have this divine dance. And so what is our posture towards that truth? Hold on now. Come with me. What's our posture? I'm going to make the argument ahead of time, right? So sometimes I do sermons and I like build up to this moment and it's just like, boom, and everyone goes, oh. I'm going to give you the punchline ahead of time. That, at least how that's how I envision it to be. <laughs> just, let's, not, let's not rebuke Pastor Caleb right now, okay? So let's not correct. Okay, so I'm going to give you the punchline now. Okay, so what's, when we talk about our posture towards the truth, if ultimate truth is that divine dance, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, what is our posture towards that ultimate truth? And, and I'm going I'm to cut to the chase, and, I'm gonna make, and then I'm going to make the argument that our posture primarily is not to defend the truth, it's not to stand for truth, it's to abide. 
to abide in the truth, that, that at the center of the cosmos is an eternally existing communion of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And here's the mind-blowing thing. You know what Jesus says to us? We want you to join us. Join us at the table. In this divine dance, Jesus shows up and says, unify with us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he says in John chapter 15, abide in me. Now, abide, that's kind of an old-fashioned word. We kind of use it sometimes in modern language. Like we say things like um, uh, abide by the law, right? So, so when Jesus says abide in me, when Jesus says abide, what does he mean? So, so I learned abide, uh, some of us learned abide in the late 90s from the Coen Brothers masterpiece, The Big Lebowski. Anybody? Right, of course. And the dude, the dude abides. Okay, so the dude abides. So some of us are familiar with that. For, uh, for, uh, for some of us, we hear things like abide by the law. What does that mean to abide? Here's what, here's what, abi- what to abide means. It's to rest in or to stay in. To rest in or to stay in. So when Jesus says abide in me, he says stay with me or rest in me. Now, I did not learn the word abide first from the Big Lebowski, although I recognized it, and I love how they tease it all out. No, I learned abide from an old hymn, uh, and it, I, I've actually noticed it all over the place. Um, my wife and I, uh, we, do, we do this thing uh, where we have romantic getaways, and then we go to cemeteries, <laughs> and we're just very interested I, th- I think she, she likes some of it. She's humoring me most of the time. But, but, but we, were, uh, we had a, just a wonderful opportunity. Uh, we were in, uh, in France, and we visited one of the British uh, uh, cemeteries for World War II uh, men and women who died there in France. And, and I, I remember walk, strolling through uh, this cemetery in Bayeux, France, and I happened to notice, and I, you can't quite see it here, but I happened to notice at the bottom, uh, by the way, this is, in- well, this is interesting to me, I was going to say this is interesting. This is interesting to me. Let me just be very clear. Uh, that, it, that what was interesting, in the, there was a German cemetery, an American cemetery, and a British cemetery. And in both the German and the American, uh, families were not uh, uh, invited to uh, give an inscription onto uh, the, 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 the markers of the, 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 grave, the placeholders, the gravestones. Uh, but the British did the British were invited to do that. And so family members, uh, spouses and family members would write uh, just a little something uh, for many of these uh, tombstones. And this one, you, you can't see it, but it reads, Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. And that is a so- that's a line from a song. Does anybody know it? Abide with me. That's how I learned the word abide. It's this old hymn that goes like this. Abide with me, fast falls the even tide. And it's this invitation to remind ourselves of the abiding presence of Christ, even at the end of our last day. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. And so this language of abide, when we think about the ultimate truth, we think about the divine dance, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus saying, abide in me, it's an invitation to rest in 
the truth. So I'd like to, uh, now I've given you the punchline, now I'd like to make my argument. Here we go. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 17. And we'll pick it up in verse 15. If you don't have a Bible, we've got it printed in your handouts. Uh, for those of you all joining us online, if you, if you don't have a Bible with you, just go to Bible.com. And again, John chapter 17, we'll pick it up at verse uh, 15. And we're using the Christian Standard Bible today. I want to invite you uh, to read all of your whole Bible uh, but in particular, if you don't have time to read your whole Bible today, I would encourage you to read all of John chapter 17. In fact, you might even pick it up in John chapter 15 and read it all the way through the rest. You, you get this very, very uh, close encounter with Jesus as he is uh, walking towards the cross. And here we pick up in John chapter 17 this prayer. We rarely get, this is really interesting, we rarely actually get the content of Jesus' prayer. We know that Jesus prayed ton, that he would often go away to pray, and they would pray all the time, but we rarely actually get recorded for us the content of Jesus' prayers. But here, you get an enormous transcript of what is sometimes referred to as the high priestly prayer. And in it, Jesus is praying for his followers. He's praying also for us. Notice this, verse uh, 15. I am not praying, so this is Jesus now. I am not praying that you, Father, take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Have you guys ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? Uh, I learned it the old-fashioned way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us... Okay, so here Jesus, he's given to us his, uh, what's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer, but here he's riffing on the same theme. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What? Where? On earth it is in I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, right? But that you protect them from the evil one. This is, a, this is the same, one of the same themes that you find in uh, Jesus uh, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So I want you just to notice that language. I am not of the world. What does that mean? They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. This does not mean that we're not people of earth. Right? So when the aliens come, what do they say? Pe- people of earth. Right? We are people of the earth. Right, We're people. This is not talking about that we are not uh, people of the, 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 the world or the earth. This is something else. When Jesus says, they are not of the world as I am not of the world, what he's saying is, is I don't live, Jesus is saying, I don't live according to the systems of the kingdoms of this world. And so they're my followers are like me in that we don't operate according to the systems of this world, this world's systems. So it's not about earth, like, I, like we're made of earth stuff, right? It's not that we're not material beings of the world, but it's that we don't operate according to this world's systems. So just, again, look at Jesus. We are not of the world in the same way that he's also not of this world, not of this world's systems. And in just a few, uh, just a few short paragraphs later in the Gospel of John, Jesus will stand before Pilate, who was the Roman uh, king or governor at the time, and he's about to have Jesus executed, and he's interrogating Jesus, and you know what Jesus says to him? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my people would be killing you. 
But as it is, my kingdom, not of this world. Jesus is, when he's doing that language of not of this world, he's not saying not of the earth, he's saying not of this world's systems. Tracking? Okay, let's keep going. Okay, so I know that there's a ton of questions about that. There's a ton of mystery involved in all that. And I would just invite you, uh, if you don't have a group to go to or a study to go to, which we have got a ton of great ones uh, at 11 o'clock today, I'd invite you to join me here. Uh, We're going to do a sermon question and response time. And so uh, it'll be right in here, right at 11. Uh, Come on in. You can ask questions live uh, about the sermon or about really anything else that you want to ask. Or you can text in questions. And so in your handout, uh, there's a phone number that you can text questions in, and I'll do my best to respond to them. A lot of people ask, why is it called question and response and not question and answer? You, You could maybe imagine that I don't know all the things. And so, but I can definitely respond to all the things, so keep doing that. So I'd love to have you join me here at 11. Uh, and, and thinking about the nature of this world and even this text, I'd love to talk to you all more about that at the Q&R. Check out what Jesus says next. Sanctify them by the truth. Okay, so here we are, right? So this whole series, we've been talking about the truth, okay? So sanctify means set apart, set them apart by the truth. Okay, so what is truth? So, so okay. Ready? Thus far, Jesus has said of himself, I am the way, the, and the life. So he invokes the language of truth for his own self. Okay? And then he says, my spirit, I will send my spirit, the Holy Spirit, and it's the spirit of, and I'm going to send the spirit of truth to you to guide you. And now here, Jesus is praying, and he's praying to the Father, Father, set them apart for service, set them apart for your mission, sanctify them, set them apart by the truth. What does Jesus now say is the truth? Your word is truth. Now hold on, because y'all are jumping the gun a bit, because I know what y'all are doing. Y'all are thinking, I know what the word is. It's the B-I-B-L-E. Now, I get that, and I, get, and, and I do believe uh, that it's oftentimes appropriate to call the Scriptures uh, the Word of God. I think that's okay here. But in the Gospel of John, you've got to ask yourself, in the Gospel of John, when you see the language of the Word, the Word of God, does the author of the Gospel of John imply Holy Scripture or something else? And it's something you, you're never going to guess. It's something else. Because in the Gospel of John... You see Jesus shows up, and Jesus is called the Logos, or to put it another way, the Word. Okay, and now, this all ties together because the Scriptures are ultimately all about Jesus, and Jesus is the ultimate expression of truth, and so therefore, Jesus is the ultimate expression of the Word of God, regardless of how you nuance it. Now, some of us are saying, pump the brakes, Campbell, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to. You can ask me in the question and response. And that for some of us, we're like, wait a minute, how does all this stuff fit together? And I don't know how Jesus is the word, but the Bible is all about Jesus and the scriptures and the word again. And welcome to the club. This is why I would invite you to consider the scriptures not to be a handbook for life, not to be basic instructions before leaving earth. <laughs> B-I-B-L-E, you guys heard that, but basic instructions for okay. Uh, but to view it as meditative wisdom literature. It's the type of thing where you read it and you do this a lot. Hmm. 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 
need to think about that a little bit more. What does it mean when Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth? Okay, so let's, let's spend the next decade meditating on what it means to be set apart, sanctified, by the truth of God as it's expressed in his word. Let's keep going. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Uh, I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Okay, so Jesus is saying what has been happening to and through me, I now, God the Father, want you to do to and through my followers. I want, you to, I want to just say something to you and have you meditate on this for the rest of your life. Jesus refers to the collection of his followers as his body. His body. And so what you see here is Jesus saying, Lord, Father, what you have been doing to and through me, I now want you to do to and through my body. There is some deep mystery and power behind the imagery of us collectively being, corporately, the body of Christ. I'll just ask it to you this way. I'll be a little bit coy. Uh, do you think like, Jesus is alive? Yeah, yeah he is. This is good news. Spoiler for Easter. Um, <laughs> and do you think Jesus is at work in the world today? Okay, I, do, I do too. That's why I'm here. Um, through what body? Okay, okay, let's keep going. Okay, we, let's go. Check this out. So, oh, real quick. So how are we to be in the world? Oh, this is so good. How are we to be in the world according to Jesus? Be like him. So as we, as we live in the world and in this world's systems, how are we to be like Jesus? He says, make them like me. Do you see it? Okay, let's keep going. Verse 20, I pray not only for these, the ones right there with him, but also for those who believe in me through their words. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, Jesus is explicitly praying for you. I just want to draw, I want to draw you in here now. The very core truth of the cosmos is the divine dance of Father, Son, and Spirit. And Jesus has you in his mind when he prays. Jesus sees your face when he prays. In this divine dance, Jesus is speaking to the Father about you. You see, the very core truth of the cosmos is the divine dance of Father, Son, and Spirit. And here Jesus is saying, I'm thinking about them. Watch, watch, watch. May they all be the very center of the cosmos, the very core truth of the cosmos, our state of being, is oneness and diversity. One God, 
three persons. The very core truth, the Trinity, is unity and diversity. Do you see it? Let them be Father as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. The divine dance. May they also... May they also be what? Come into the dance. You see, the very core truth of the cosmos, of all reality, at its very center is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, eternally existing in unity and diversity, constantly deferring to and loving the other, elevating and celebrating the other. But there's a seat at the table for who? And Jesus here prays. He's going to the cross, and he here prays. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us. Why? So that the cosmos, the world's systems, those who are shackled to the systems of this world, the kingdoms of this world, so that they may know that the world may believe that you sent me. How will the world believe that God the Father sent God the Son into the world to save, redeem, and restore the world? When the church, when the church operates like the Trinity, this divine dance of loving and deferring to and elevating and celebrating the other. When we enter into this, okay, you all ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So we live the divine dance now. And as we live the divine dance, as we abide in and rest in the truth, as we, as we say yes to the invitation to join into this divine dance, do you, do you think that changes our behavior towards one another? Like there's no, watch this now. Is there any malice in the Trinity? Is there any competition in the Trinity? Is there any using you for me to get aheadness in the Trinity? And so we're invited to live the divine dance now. May they be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. I, uh, I uh, had the honor of going to the Museum of the Bible with uh, help, help to lead a team. We took a bunch of pastors and clergy uh, from Phoenix, and we're able to go. There's about, I think, 50 of us there. And from all different backgrounds and denominations, uh, Orthodox, Catholic, uh, even Baptists. I mean, there was just all sorts of... <laughs> uh, yeah, you know Bible church, right? Like in the and this is super nerdy, but in like the church uh, in the church family tree, uh, like Bible churches are usually right next to Baptists. We're, we're basically Baptists. We just like to dance. Just like to dance. Just like to dance. <laughs> so we went to the Museum of the Bible, and uh, what was really interesting is there's all these. I mean, and it's super I super nerded out on all the geeky Bible stuff. 
Um, but one of the things that was interesting, and in, in just some of what I know about church history, is uh, some people killed, some Christians killed other Christians because how they translated different parts of the Bible. So like here's, here we are at this Museum of the Bible, an act of unity, trying to unify about the Bible, and what we realized, the Bible, the thing that's pointing us to Jesus, actually has often been a source of division and divisiveness. And that's striking to me, given that the, watch me now, the greatest burden that Jesus takes before God the Father in prayer is the unity of his body. So striking that we would use God's words, which are supposed to point us to and shape us into the image of Jesus, that we would use that to sow seeds of division and divisiveness and conflict against other people who are also following Jesus. And so here, I just want to, how is God the Father and God the Son, how are they one? So Jesus' great burden is for the unity of his church. It's interesting too, and I, much of the time, the divisiveness is justified in the name of truth. We've got the truth. You don't. You're wrong. Get out of here. And then we wave these Bibles around saying, this is the truth. But I just want to, again, I just want to point out, what is our primary posture towards the truth as it's revealed in Scripture? To abide. And if I'm abiding in Jesus, am I biting and devouring other Jesus followers? How do we do it? How do we abide? I want to invite you in. We, we have not been left without reminders. First of all, I want to just notice that Jesus is praying for his, for, for not just you, but for y'all. Okay? So Bible translations in English oftentimes uh, make singular what really is plural, namely you. So Jesus is praying for y'alls. And he says, may they, may y'all be one. Jesus is praying for us, not just me as an individual. And I know in consumeristic, individualistic, isolated American culture, it's very difficult to recognize that. But, but Jesus prays for us, not only as individuals, but also as a community. And then he gives to us what we would refer to as a sacrament. And in this sacrament, we take bread and juice, or well, because we're kind of Baptist, but wine if you're a real Christian. Um, and <laughs> if you're biblical, okay, it wasn't grape juice, kids, all right, but we're going to do grape juice because we want to honor our traditions. Okay, so Jesus takes the bread and the wine. I want, you, I want you to follow me here, okay? I want you to follow me. Jesus ate his way through the Gospels. I just encourage you, go home, read. Instead of reading the whole Bible today, I'll give you just a little bit of it, just read the four Gospels. And notice how frequently Jesus is eating. This theme of eating is throughout your whole Bible. 
In fact, the people of God in the book of Exodus, the people of God are shaped around a meal, namely Passover. Jesus, at the Last Supper, is sharing Passover with his disciples. But he think of it, like some of his miracles. How many, he fed like 4,000 people, he fed like 5,000 people. He's eating with uh, uh, religious leaders, he's, uh, he's eating with uh, uh, prostitutes and drunks, he's eating with his own disciples. Jesus is always eating. I want you to notice something. When you dine, especially in that culture, you would dine around a table. And I just want you to notice the table. What does it mean to abide? Well, it means to stay with or to rest in. And it's intriguing to me because one of the things that we, we understand about Jesus' context was is when you would sit at table, you wouldn't sit primarily in chairs isolated from one another. You would actually, what would be referred to as recline at table. You would kind of lean, if you could imagine, table low to the ground, you'd have some pillows or cushions, and then you would kind of lean with your shoulder and then eat with your other hand, which means that the other person, the person that you are next to is right, I mean, they next to you. You understand? Like, you're, you're on the person next to you. So what does it mean to abide? Well, have that scene in your mind of Jesus' disciples and people who are still trying to figure out who Jesus is and religious leaders and tax collectors and prostitutes and drunks. And they're, they're there looking at Jesus, but leaning on whom? They're leaning on each other. And so abiding with Jesus is not something I just do as an isolated individual. It's something we do together. And in the act of communion, think about this, this this, and, and just track with me here. The central piece of furniture in the Christian tradition is not the pulpit or the pew, it's the table. It's the table. Because it's the table that you actually abide. And so Jesus in communion, in the act of communion, he invites us to remember who he is, what he's done, but also, check this now, Communion is also an act of abiding when we encourage one another and we pray for one another and we remind one another about Jesus. And it's something that we do together where we're pointing each other to Jesus. But even in the taking of communion, think of this. We are, just for a brief moment, having an experience of the divine dance become manifest. Because in our union with one another, communion, think of the word, communion. In our taking of communion, we not only remind ourselves of the union that we have with God, but also the union and unity we have in the midst of diversity within his body, the church.